Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 7, 28 to 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And John 12, 49 to 50. For I have not, forsake, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. We've all heard the story, the parable of the blind men who are brought into a room that has an elephant present. And they're all taken to that elephant and they're put at different parts of that elephant. So one of the blind men grabs a hold of the tail of the elephant and he feels the tail and thinks about the tail. And they say, what do you have there? And they say, oh, I have a rope. And then the other blind man goes in and he grabs a hold of one of the legs and he's holding onto the leg and feeling the leg of that elephant. And they say, what do you have there? And he says, oh, I have a tree, a mighty tree. Someone else just uh, reaches his hands up onto the belly of that giant beast and is pushing on it and feeling it. And they say, what, what are you touching there? What do you have? And they say, oh, it's a wall. I have a wall. Somebody grabs the tusk and they're holding onto it and feeling it and they're touching the, the point of it. And they say, what do, you, what do you have there as you hold onto that tusk? And, and they say, oh, I have a, a spear, a weapon of some sort. And, and, and somebody grabs a hold of the trunk and they say, what do you have there? Oh, it's a, a python or a snake of, of some sort. And the ears, it's a fan or a set of wings. And the eye, and they say, I don't know what I have, but it's awfully gross. I feel that way a little bit as we start this series, as we come into this place of saying, who is Jesus? Because it's often that as we engage with who this is, this historic figure is, the one that we come and worship here today, that I often feel like we can enter in as blind people who are just asked to touch something, to kind of grasp what it is, and, and to say, oh, I think it's this. The danger is, is that we will miss the elephant. We might just grab hold of one little piece of who Jesus is, and, and, and we might try and condense all that he holds and all that he has into that one little piece. And so we might be holding on to an elephant, but think we just have a rope. And it's so in, in somewhat trepidation that, that I enter in to this series to go, who is Jesus? Really? Because each one of us in our own hearts will come to a place where there are things about Jesus that we'll discover that we're like, yes, I love that about Jesus. Jesus is so cool. Je right on Jesus. But there might be things that we discover about Jesus in this series that we're like, oh, really? I'm not quite sure. I, 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 are you positive that that is who Jesus is? And so I'll let you know that I've been reading a lot of books, not just 
the four biographies that we have in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but other books that are out there trying to think through this sermon series about who Jesus is. And, and in some sense, I feel like I uh, have an elephant-sized bit of uh, information. I'm not going to call it knowledge, but information in my head. And so I'm a little also nervous to come with and, and say, here's what it is, because the temptation is to just sort of blah, and then let you figure it out on your own. And in some ways, that's good. But what I want to do before we really begin, and probably we'll do every Sunday, is pray. So would you join me with that? Holy Spirit, you are the one who testifies to our hearts, to our souls, to our minds, to our entire being who Christ is. Jesus is. So open our ears so that we can hear. Open our hearts so that we can receive. Open our minds so that we can think and know who you are. And even in all of this, we know that we see it through a glass dimly. That even... Our attained knowledge of who you are is a shadow of the greatness that is Jesus. Jesus, point us to where you've always been pointing us to, which is your Father. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So as we begin to look at the Gospels and we begin to look at this biography of who Jesus is, what is the maybe one thing that you would, if you've read through the Gospels, would recognize as a title that's been given to Jesus by those who were following him closely and by those who didn't want to follow him at all? Teacher. Most people who encountered Jesus as he was walking around in, in, in uh, Israel at that time would consider him some form of teacher. And that was not unusual at that time and space in history. Uh, there, there were multiple teachers who were walking around trying to give information and impart new ways of thinking about things. They would gather up followers, those who would be considered disciples, who would walk with them and go with them and listen to what he was saying. And so oftentimes Jesus would be called teacher, a lot of times by people who wanted to follow him and sometimes by those who didn't want to follow him at all. Oh, teacher, they would say. Usually he would, uh, I love it when they would go, good teacher. And he'd go, why do you call me good? Doesn't question the fact that he's a teacher, but just why do you, why do you call me good? John Dixon, who is the founder and head of the Center for Public Christianity here in Australia, has written a book called The Doubter's Guide to Jesus. And in it, as he begins to unfold the ways that we think about Jesus, the first title that he sort of goes after is this idea of teacher. What does that mean? How many of you have a teacher that you remember? Hmm. I have two. I have one that was my university uh, teacher who helped challenge me to think more deeply about my faith. 
I also have another one named Mr. Holland, and I name him because I want to shame him, and that's bad, and I shouldn't do that. But And he was a, he was a, um, a drafting teacher that I had in high school. Uh, and I had this drafting teacher. I wanted to be an architect. And he was just nitpicky and terrible. And I was always in trouble in that class. And so by the end of it, I was like, I definitely don't want to do that because if this occupation is filled with people like him, I don't want to hang out with them. We have teachers that are good and bad in our lives. They, they send us in different directions. And when you think about a teacher, do you think about who they are as a person? Isn't it always weird to see a teacher that you've had out in real life? No, you tend to think of them more about just a bringer of information, right? They're there as maybe the expert, maybe, to bring us information that we can have for something that we might need to do later on. They tell us that we need to do it. One of the best memes that are out there right now in Facebook is the fact that people are saying, I used to ask my teacher when I would ever have to use this math again, and now I know it's because I have to teach my own kids this math because we're homeschooling because of COVID. That's the only reason why I'm ever using that math that I learned. Right, we have this sort of concept that teachers are not really people, but they're information that they're bringing to us. And so when we think about Jesus as a teacher, when we look at the Gospels, we have to go, well, what is he teaching? What was the information that he wanted to bring us? And I think over and over again, whether it be in the Sermon on the Mount or whether it be through other discourses that he has or in particularly the parables that he tells, those stories, what Jesus is telling us about is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, it's called the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, kingdom of God in Mark and Luke and in the two places that John talks about it. It's the kingdom of God. And he's talking about not just this idea that, uh, as, the, as the Jewish folks were hearing it, that God was going to come down, he was going to kick out the Romans, and he was going to set up rule in Israel. He's talking about the fact that God already reigns, has always reigned, and will continue to reign, and he brings life into the world in order for those of us to walk, not underneath his authority, but within his authority. Yes, he's high and lifted up and has authority, but we don't walk as subjugated subjects but as dearly loved subjects to that king. And so over and over again, whether it be through the parables or the Sermon on the Mount or other places, what he's pushing towards us is this idea that there is two types of kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world and there's the kingdom of God. And that he is wanting us to understand that those who live in the kingdom of God live differently, that their actions are different. That their heart is turned in a different direction. That their minds are transformed in different ways than if they were in the kingdom of the world. One of the clearest places that we see that is in Luke. When he's talking about his Sermon on the Mount there. And we've heard this passage over and over again, but Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who begs from you. And for one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. 
You've probably heard that titled the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What what you would want them to do. Now, most people will hear that and go, well, that sounds oddly familiar, and particularly if you look at other philosophies and other religions in the world. It seems like that's not too different. Confucius himself had said, don't harm others so that they won't harm you. But there's a difference here in the way that Jesus comes at it. You see, why oftentimes we see in other places, it is very much in the negative, a way of withholding or keeping something happening. Here, Jesus is going a step beyond. He's saying, no, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, in this kingdom that is not the kingdom of the world, when you belong in it, you don't just love your enemies, you help them. You don't just keep from doing things to them. You make sure you're actively moving to do things for them. It's so beyond anything that we could imagine. And when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount earlier this year and began to look through it, and luckily we were able to bounce back into it a few times, so let's bounce back into there again just a little bit. We recognize that this is God calling forth through Christ what it means to be a citizen of this kingdom. That there's a call to live lives of the beatitude. That we are peacekeepers. That we are merciful. That we mourn. Over and over again, we see this taking place. But somehow, we can distill it down to saying, this is just the way to lead a better life. That there's really no power in it because we remove the teacher and we just focus on the information, right? Like we do with all our teachers. That teacher's great or good or bad, but it's about their information. That's what I want. But there's something different about this teacher in Jesus. Humakai, who is a journalist and an analyzer, uh, uh, he analyzes culture within Australia, has written a book called Beyond Belief. And in that, he's wanting to separate this idea that um, we have to have religion to be good people. Well, I would say I might agree with that, depending on how you define religion. But he's saying you don't necessarily have belief. You don't have to have a faith in something to be good. And so he's trying to move forward to this idea that we are beyond belief. And he talks about Jesus as this great teacher. And he asked the question, what did Jesus actually teach? And he looks at the parables and the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he concludes. None of the explicit teachings of Jesus in the parables or in the sermon call on his disciples to believe anything. He was not prescribing doctrine or dogma from some hypothetical institutional church that might in the future have been established in his name. His teachings were all about how best to live. The consistent emphasis was on loving action, not belief. Well, then he's just an ordinary teacher. He's just somebody who brought us information. And the personhood of him is not important, just like the personhood of my teacher, although being in the image of God was important. 
While I was learning from them, it was much more about their information and not about them as a person. I would say I disagree with him, (laughs) in case you didn't know. (laughs) I would say that the person that is the teacher is what is important. And I would say that you missed it. Because you can't do the things that Jesus is calling us to do without a belief in him being right and having the right to say those things. Unless we believe the teacher or believe that we will use what they're teaching us someday, we tend to not listen and follow through with what that teacher is giving us. Unless we believe that the teacher is who they say they are and believe that what they are giving us will help us in some way, we tend to forget the information and not apply it to our lives. Jesus is more than the teacher. Now, we could look all through the Gospels and we could take out these moral principles that Jesus has called to us, that he says that we live our lives in ways that are for others and not for ourselves, and we could work really hard and diligently to apply those things, and we would look like really good people. But ultimately, we would miss the point because Jesus didn't come to teach us how to be good people. Jesus didn't come to teach us how to be great people. Jesus came to teach us about God. We see that in this passage that we're talking about. There's two things that I want to point out from these two places that we looked in Scripture in these biographies of Jesus. The first one is Matthew 7. Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. These men and women who have been listening hear him, and they say to themselves, he teaches them as one who has authority and not as one who is like the scribes. See, not only were they getting the information that Jesus was giving them, they were realizing that it comes with some sort of power, that it has the ability to change them, that there's something about it that caused them to grasp hold of not just the teaching, but the teacher himself. They said, I know that I need to and should and will listen to what this teacher is bringing us because he has authority. Where did that come from? Well, part of it comes from the fact that Christ himself was the embodiment of all that he was teaching. He was the one who held all those things together. Whereas every other scribe and every other teacher and every other preacher that they're looking at, as they were teaching them, they could go, but I've seen you with your wife. I've seen you with your children. I've watched how you've handled the destitute. I know what you did to that widow. (laughs) And it didn't line up with what they were teaching. But in Christ, they were seeing, yes, in fact, this Jesus follows through in all that he is teaching. He holds it all together. That's the reason, one of the reasons why they saw that he had authority. Another reason that they saw that he had authority was that as they came to belief in him, as they began to recognize that their hearts were being transformed, as they were following him as a disciple, these very things they would be striving to do differently. 
It wasn't in order to gain acceptance. It wasn't in order to get the A. It wasn't in order to be top of class. It was because their hearts could not help but do it because they weren't just following the teaching. They were following the teacher who was leading them. So that's why he had this authority. But then in John 12, we hear the source of the authority. I'm going to jump ahead just to uh, um, go there and look at it. John 12, 49 and 50. He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus is more than a teacher and his authority comes from not only us seeing that he lives the life that he's teaching, not only that as we begin to follow him, it's not so we can attain something, but out of love for him, but we also see that he comes with authority because he is listening to the Father. There is nothing that he says that is not spoken to him by God first, saying, this is what I want the world to know. This is how I want to reveal myself. This is how I want those who are around to know who I am and what I've done in the world. It is Jesus proclaiming both in word and action that I am the steadfast, loving Father who has come to pursue you to the ends of the world to bring you into whole relationship with me, with yourself, with all others, and the place that you live. And Jesus says, so the things that I'm talking about, they're not just things that I've thought up. They're not things that I learned over here. They are actually given to me by God, the creator of the world, who knows you better than you know yourself. And why does he want to proclaim it? Why does he say the things that God tells him to say? Is it so that we could have a better life? Is it so that we can be better people? No. It is for us to grasp eternity. Now that's a real dangerous thing there. Because we can look at that concept of eternal life and there definitely is a sense of, of the after, the beyond, right? The after. Like I'll die and then there's eternal life that is to come. But any time that God, through Christ, is talking about life and even eternal life, he is speaking of it in a continuum. That it doesn't happen after death, that it already is taking place now. That at this very moment, this present time, that we are stepping into this eternal life. What does that mean? It means that our lives are different. They are changed when we encounter this teacher who comes with us in authority. They're changed because we move from the way that we used to live. We move from that places where we were citizens of the world, where we were turned on our own selves and our own hearts, that place where we were looking at what we could get for ourselves. And we move into the place of the kingdom of God that is about God's authority and his reign to bring shalom peace to all that encounter him. And so we move into that place now. Now it is going to go on. And we don't actually know how all that looks I mean, we can kind of figure out some things by looking at different parts of Scripture. But what we need to focus on here is that eternal life doesn't start after, it is right now. 
And so he says, I've come to teach you this, to command these things to you, to bring them forth, because the Father wants you to know that you have life now in the kingdom of God. That you have life now that supersedes and goes beyond any identity that you hold to yourself so dearly. That you, in fact, are a citizen of that kingdom and are living in his love and mercy. And it would be great for us to be able to move there. But too often, when we encounter the Gospels or we begin to look at those things that Jesus taught, our hearts are blinded by circumstances, by hurts, by places of doubt. And we just go, I I think I've got something, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And I would say that when we do that, and I do it a lot, it's because I'm only focused on the teaching and not the teacher. I'm only focused on trying to find that one thing that might fit the circumstance that I'm in right now that'll speak to me in some way that'll make my heart feel a little bit better about either the mistake that I've made or the way that I want people to live differently. (laughs) Usually that's how it works with me. I have a mistake that I've done that I need to justify in some way or I have a way that I want people to live and so I need to prove to them that they need to live this way. But if I take a step back and allow Holy Spirit to open my eyes, then I see Jesus for who he is. That he is the one who comes with authority because he speaks what the Father wants for us. And what the Father has always spoken to us is his steadfast love and pursuit. To bring us in to his kingdom. And so Jesus is a teacher. But he is more than a teacher. He is like no other teacher you've experienced. He is the one who can bring you life. Life eternal. Let me pray. Father, it is weighty to talk about this. (laughs) Uh, Because there are definitely things that I like about Jesus and things that I'm afraid about Jesus. And so it's weighty to talk about this. And, 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 and so we just have to say, uh, whatever words that are spoken today, if they're not your words, let them burn up, let them go away, let them cease to exist. Don't let them take root in our heart because they're not yours and we don't need to have them. But if there are anything that was spoken today that are your words, are the things that will bring life and glory, let them take deep root into our hearts, into our very being so that we can bring you glory and we can enjoy you forever and we can know how we are loved by you in order to love those that are around us. Father, you through Christ commanded us to be actively pursuing each other in love. But we can't do that unless we have the authority that you've given to us in Christ. So let us walk in that. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.